When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I felt right. And I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and for the past few weeks, we've been sharing a very special series on the podcast called Human Nature. Through August, we'll be sharing these stories about our relationship with the natural world and the ways that it shapes us. This week, we have two stories in which both of our storytellers find themselves in situations where they have to draw on their courage. Whether they're squeezing through tight spaces or facing down an aggressive bull elephant. Both of these stories came to us as part of a show we produced in December in partnership with Lida Hill Philanthropies, the If Then Fellowship Program, and one If Then Fellow in particular, Becca Pichotto. The theme of this show was Women Leading Field Research. Our first story today is from Dorothy Tovar. It was recorded recently at her home in California. As a kid, I was obsessed with every science and nature channel cable TV had to offer. Discovery Channel, Nat Geo, Animal Planet, you named it. I loved watching shows like Planet Earth that let me explore the world and get up close and personal with a Goliath bird-eating tarantula without having to actually get up close and personal with a Goliath bird-eating tarantula. I was in a weird place where I was really fascinated and interested in wildlife, but also a bit too terrified to actually go into nature myself. Later, when I was in high school, The disconnect became really clear when I got inspired by the idea of studying biodiversity in the Amazonian rainforest, and a few days later, literally collapsing after getting hit in the face by a flying beetle. Hmm, this might cause a problem, I thought. I ran into what represented two major obstacles to me pursuing my interest in nature. One, I don't like bugs. And two, I really prefer to be in controlled environments. And I interpreted nature to be an unpredictable and unsafe space for me. All of the field scientists that I saw didn't seem afraid. So I concluded that being afraid in the field would make me an imposter. Eventually, my interest took a different direction, and I ended up becoming really excited about microbiology, 
And I think it helped that being a microbiologist allowed me to stay in spaces I was comfortable in. To me, a lab is the opposite of nature, or at least nature confined. In this space, everything is controlled, and the most dangerous things I encounter are contained in test tubes and petri dishes. It turns out that I wasn't completely cured of my interest in nature, though. For my PhD, I decided to start a project that focuses on bats as a source of infectious diseases that cause outbreaks in people. At the time, there was a really bad Ebola outbreak ravaging West Africa, and bats had been implicated in the origins of that outbreak. And it turns out that bats can host lots of deadly viruses, like Ebola, without getting sick themselves. I really wanted to tackle this problem looking at the whole picture and not just thinking about viruses in petri dishes. So I joined the lab of an ecologist and field scientist named Elizabeth Hadley. For most of grad school, I was happy to do all of my research inside of our lab, and I felt comforted by the safety that the quiet hum of the minus 80 degree freezer. When I joined the Hadley lab, everyone else had field experience except me. My lab mates had really cool field sites in the Costa Rican rainforest, the Indian Himalayas, and various Caribbean islands, while my research never left Palo Alto, California. I never had anything to contribute when my peers exchanged exciting stories from the field, and sometimes that definitely made me feel like an imposter. Like there was a huge elephant in the room carrying a sign that read, she is not a field scientist. So, it was no surprise that I immediately counted myself out when Liz told the lab we were going on a month-long trip to Botswana. Wow, that is so awesome, I said. Y'all are going to have a great time. I thought, I'm not a field scientist and I don't belong in the field. But Liz really kept encouraging me to reconsider. At first, I thought she was just being polite, but eventually she chipped away at my fear and finally unearthed the passion of that little girl who spent hours watching planet Earth. Fast forward to the first week of a month-long safari trip in Botswana's Okavango Delta. The Delta is a vast swampy region that floods seasonally and creates a lush habitat for tons of African wildlife that we all know and love. Think hippos, giraffes, leopards, lions, hyenas, and of course, elephants. The trip included a group of my lab mates, and some students that we brought to teach about field research and conservation techniques. Here I was, now in this vast African wetland, and I was surprised to find that my, 
I'm not a real field scientist elephant came with me. I was in awe of how much my lab mates knew about the wildlife around us and felt like I had nothing to contribute in comparison. Sometimes the elephant in my head was so loud that it felt like others could hear it too. While out on safari one afternoon, we settled down in a swampy area to rest in the shade of the nice trees. During the break, I heard the steady but firm voice of our safari guide, Gareth, say, There is an elephant right behind you. At first, my insecurities took over and I think, Oh no, can you see it too? Then I realize his back is to me and he's facing another member of our group who was on their way back from a bio break. I think, okay, surely we would have heard or seen an elephant stroll on up as I searched the brush looking for the animal in question. And there it was, an adult male elephant that was perfectly camouflaged behind the tiniest tree and it had managed to creep up right behind our group. How in the world could this massive and magnificent creature sneak anywhere? We say the term elephant in the room for a reason, don't we? It turns out that elephants have cushions in their feet that give them super stealth abilities to walk without making any noise. And this dude got really close. So close that I could see the thick fluid dripping down the side of its head, telling me that this was a bull and must. Days before, Gareth had explained to us that must is a period where male elephants can experience a rise in reproductive signals that can result in them being restless, irritable, and sometimes violent and aggressive. And they can get aggressive enough to attack other elephants and humans without warning. So now I find myself in a new face-off with a real elephant this time. Everyone registered the serious tone in Gareth's usually light and playful voice, and a silence spread throughout our group. We all slowly inched our way back to the safari car while Gareth confronted the elephant. I couldn't help but think Gareth was absolutely insane while watching him make loud noises and shake a large fallen tree branch at the elephant. He should totally be afraid right now. I'm in the safety of this safari car and I am afraid. This is exactly why I shouldn't be here, I start to think. Here Gareth is, facing this elephant, and I'm the one who's freaking out. I think the belief that I formed as a kid, that being a real field scientist meant not being afraid, was playing out in real time. An awkward chuckle from one of my lab mates pulled my focus away from my own thoughts, and back into the car. Looking around, I saw tense faces 
and realized that I was not the only one who was really stressed out. I think we all understood that something could go wrong at any moment. And in that moment, the feelings of fear and uncertainty we all shared as a group grounded me. I realized that feeling afraid doesn't have to disqualify me from being a field scientist. After a back and forth between Gareth and the elephant, the bull relents and leaves our group just as quietly as it came. But during that three-minute encounter, I was forced to get out of my head and become extremely present in that moment in the bush. And while my mind was focused on the elephant in front of me, the one in my head quietly disappeared as well. That was Dorothy Tovar. Dorothy is a PhD candidate studying microbiology and immunology at Stanford University. Her research investigates antiviral immune responses in bats to understand their remarkable ability to host viruses that are deadly to humans, like Ebola, without getting sick themselves. Dorothy is also an ambassador for the American Association for the Advancement of Science, If Then, initiative. This role has given her a national platform to inspire girls and underrepresented minorities in STEM. Through If Then, Dorothy has worked with CBS, the United Nations Foundation, Seventeen Magazine, Girl Scouts of the USA, and Reddit. Very exciting news! Story Collider is reopening! Over the next few months, we've been developing a plan for our safe and responsible return to the stage, and on August 24th at Caveat in New York City, we'll be holding our first in-person show since March 2020. Vaccination or proof of recent negative test will be required at the door, which will be the case for all of our indoor shows for the time being. If you're in New York City, we would love to see you there. If you're not in New York City, you can also buy a ticket to watch the live stream, which is an option we're going to try to offer for all of our shows whenever possible. So stay tuned for more information about future shows in D.C., Boston, Chicago, Atlanta, St. Louis, and more. In our home stage communities where it's not yet safe to reopen, we're going to continue holding online shows. So there still will be plenty of online programming available for anyone who prefers to watch from home. As we return to in-person work, StoryClider is continuing to offer our online storytelling workshops for individuals. StoryClider's approach to these workshops combines scientific theory with artistic practice so that each participant can learn and understand the research that underlies our philosophy of storytelling and also gain real, tangible communication tools that you can use in your lectures, talks, and performances, but also in day-to-day life. This is what makes our workshop unlike any other storytelling or science communication training. But you don't have to take my word for it. Here are some of our workshoppers sharing their experiences in their own words. Story Collider, the storytelling class was amazing. It was a great experience. Over six sessions across two weeks, we got to learn the science of storytelling, how to make a story compelling. We worked with very energetic and professional and hilarious instructors. We also worked with each other among the students to workshop a story that we had in mind into a really great piece. 
I had a great time in the workshop. Uh, Gastor and Devin did a really great job creating a, uh, a welcoming environment for, for maybe somebody who's a bit more introverted like me, but wants to be, but wants to be a better writer and a better storyteller. It quickly became one of the highlights of my week. It really made me appreciate science in a new way because it reminded me of how human it is. The workshop is really good at teaching you how to story tell science in a way that it emphasizes the human part of the science and makes it insightful and meaningful and universal and relatable and inspiring. What's not to like about Story Collider Workshop? You get to hang out with an awesome bunch of people, get inspired, get amazing tips and tricks about effective storytelling, and you get to share your own stories. All in all, awesome, fun, amazing group to work with, and I had so much fun. I highly recommend it. Find out more about our workshop program at storycollider.org workshops. We would love to have you join our workshop community no matter where you're located in the world, no matter what career or career stage you're in. So once again, go to storycollider.org workshops to learn more and sign up today. Our next story today is from Nam Pumalelo Hlofe. It was recorded recently at her home in Texas. I am on my way to meet renowned paleoanthropologist Professor Lee Berger. I am ready to embark on a new chapter in my life, joining a team that is well known across the world for its caving talents and fossil discoveries in South Africa's cradle of humankind. This is once in a lifetime opportunity for me, which I have been anticipating since I first met him. I am giddy with anticipation, but my nerves are also running high. Not only do I want to achieve well for myself, but I also want to show my traditional parents that this is not just any career, but one that is vital to me and the entire world. I am ready to enter the Rising Star Cave where the Homonality fossils were discovered and write history. When I eventually meet the rest of the team, known as the exploration technicians, I discover that I am the only black woman on the team and that I will be working with four other men. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me to demonstrate to young African girls that everything is possible. The lead excavator, Marina Elliott, is busy explaining the rules before we go inside the cave, and I get a little terrified when she remarks, there are a lot of tight squeezes that we have to go through. If you start feeling uncomfortable and cannot go any further, please let me know immediately, and do not push yourself if you cannot breathe properly. She goes on to say that it is critical that I should not worry, and if I get trapped, that I should trust my colleagues. A lot of things are going through my mind at this time, but my biggest concern is, what will happen if I get an asthma attack, even though I have not had one in over 10 years? But I keep my anxieties to myself since I do not want to tell them I am asthmatic, even though I'm not sure whether that is still the case. I do not want to risk appearing weak, And even though Professor Berger is not on site today, I need to take care of myself. I finally get to go inside the cave, and I am so eager and terrified that the smell of porcupine pee and bat guano does not bother me. Pume, are you still okay? 
Please be careful. Please watch your step. And please let me know as soon as you cannot breathe properly or start feeling uncomfortable. These are the words that keep repeating in my thoughts every time I walk on rubble or proceed deeper into the cave. This is it. There's no going back. I have come this far and there's no way I'm going back the same way. I will wait for the easier way out if one exists. We progress further and deeper into the cave until we reach the first squeeze, which is known as a Superman crawl because it requires a person to take the Superman position, which consists of one hand stretched forward and the other placed on the side. Because I am short, I am bracing myself for the worst and expect to struggle. As they go through the Superman crawl, I keep a close eye on the first team member. I do not want to make a blunder. I push myself forward with my legs while laying on my stomach with my right hand stretched forward. At the same time, I must wriggle my body. Because my helmet keeps coming in front of my eyes, I cannot see ahead of me. I start to feel concerned at this point and the team member ahead of me keeps calling my name and tells me I'm almost there. It is necessary for me at this point to remind myself why I'm doing this. I have the option to stop if I so desire, but I am unable to do so. I am exploring a historic cave system. I have been looking forward to this moment for a long time and now it has arrived. I have always wanted to be part of an exploration team and now is my chance to show to myself and to my family that I am capable and I will succeed. As I near the end of the Superman crawl, I become ecstatic because I know the hardest portion is about to be over. However, before I can exit the crawl and enter the rising star chamber, I must squeeze past a massive block of rock smack dab in the middle of the entryway. While the other member is busy instructing me on how to properly squeeze around the massive boulder, I rise up too quickly and scrap my back, which is the first major scratch I receive from a cave. I bend down and scream, clear, after silently crying in pain so that the next member can begin crawling. I am finally in the Rising Star Chamber, which is the major chamber that everyone must pass through before entering the Dina Lady Chamber, where Homona Lady fossils were discovered. I boost the lights on my helmet to get a better view of the chamber, and I'm astounded by what I see. The large and little fragments of Dolomite temperature, which is sort of rock which fossils are typically found. While I'm looking about for a piece of fossil, Steve, one of the team members, pulls me over and points into a small space. He smiles and says, Crawl in there and try to look up. Hopefully there's no porcupine hiding in there. I am instantly afraid and I'm thinking, How am I going to turn around and gaze up in that tight space? The squeeze appears to be the size a five-year-old youngster might comfortably fit in. I timidly request him to kindly show me how to do what he's saying and he lays down on his back and pushes into the tight hole. I mimic his moves like a monkey. When I get within the tight squeeze, I look up and cannot believe what I see. I say to myself, this is where they're hiding. There are a lot of tiny faunal fossils embedded in breccia, small animal bones and teeth that are visible. It is lovely inside, and to be honest, rather cozy. I cannot believe I am laying inside a cave like as if I'm laying in my own bed. I cannot help but think I have made the right choice. The remainder of the team arrives in the chamber. We move on to other parts of the cave where I encounter other tight spaces such as a toilet bowl, which is shaped like a toilet seat, 
and the dragon's bag, which is designed like a back of the dragon. By the end of the day, I lose track of how many times I scratched my shins, arms, and back merely to climb a rock or squeeze through a tight squeeze in an odd location. I found means to climb up rocks with my small legs in addition to standing on one of my teammates' shoulders. I feel like I am one with the cave and I am content. After a six-hour journey into the cave, with breaks in between, I know that this is intended for me, and I have no intention of changing my mind. Yes, I have a few bruises and scratches to show for it, but they are scars I am proud of. I become a member of the exploration team. Being the only female on the team makes me feel intimidated at times, but it simply motivates me to work even harder. Because I never give up, I am now a third-year biological anthropology PhD student at Texas A&M University. I set a goal for myself and achieved it. There is still so much more I want to do in my career as a woman, and I am excited for what the future holds. That was Nampumulelo Flofe. Nampumulelo is a third-year biological anthropology PhD student at Texas A&M University. She was born in South Africa and moved to the U.S. in August 2016 to pursue her master's at Georgia Southern University. She obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Information Science degree in 2015 and also became an exploration technician in CAVER, looking for new fossil sites in the cradle of humankind in South Africa, as we heard. After completing her PhD studies, Nompumulelo plans to go into academia or research and hopefully have an opportunity to recruit young South Africans to get into the field of anthropology. The story Collider is so grateful to Dorothy and Nompumulelo for sharing their stories with us. The story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director of StoryClider, with assistance from StoryClider's Program Manager, Nissa Greenberg, and Senior Podcast Editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to StoryClider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, our Operations Manager, Lindsay Cooper, and Marketing Manager, Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Emma Young and Miriam Zeringhalem and recorded by the wonderful Misha Gajewski. Our theme music is by Ghost. Once again, a huge thanks to Becca Pichotto and the If Then Initiative for partnering with us on this show and helping us find these two amazing stories. Stay tuned for our next episode of Human Nature next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.